bum bum bottom 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 bum
And as we always do when we're single issue shopping, we learn some things about ourselves <laughs> and about our consumption problems. What did you learn, Lisa, about yourself? Because I think you actually bought more back issues than I did this year. I learned that I need to change my personal qualifications for a must-buy <laughs> single issue because we've gone to other conventions and I'm like, okay, if I find a golden age romance single issue for under $10... I'm buying it. And that has served me very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but at Baltimore Comic Con, <laughs> I was like walking away with fat stacks of romance comics. Like the kind of stack where I'm like, well, I can't read all of this. The first booth we went to was a $2 booth. And I mean, that fat stack was like a foot and a half. Right, right. And when I say like, I can't read all of this, I'm saying like, I'm going to be paying rent on the square footage yes. that these books take up yes. for longer than I can like reasonably get through them. <laughs> um, but I did find some things that I'm legit, like I would have bought regardless. Yeah. Like I found two more issues of Haunted Love. Uh -huh. Very exciting. Yeah. How much did you pay for those? $5, Lisa? Those Haunted Love issues at the first booth? I don't think they were no, $5. No, those weren't the Haunted Love ones. I did, I did, um... Okay, this is embarrassing. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> Lisa, you are becoming like every other comic collector out there on the planet. Let's do this. Air your grievances about yourself. Okay, okay. So I do have a widely stated principle that is like, I buy reading copies. Yes, yes. My intention is like, I don't care about the condition that they're in because I'm going to read them and I want to feel comfortable with them. And also, all books are precious. So, so but, right. So that means if you have a 9.8 version of a comic and a 2.2, the 2.2 you're going to get because it's cheaper and just as valuable to you based on your principles that you just stated. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then that very first booth that we went to, was um, a seller who is also obsessed with Golden Age Charleston romance <laughs> comics. And his issues were in beautiful condition and way outside of, and by, when I say way outside, I'm like $30, $40. Yeah, you didn't buy any $100 and up comics. No. No, uh, not yet anyway. But the conversation that we had about Charleston romance comics and looking for comics that have Ditko pages and all that kind of stuff got me so excited that when I found those issues in great condition, I'm like, well, I do want these. Yeah. And I just bought them. I bought them. <laughs> I bought okay. them and I That's overpaid. Okay. And it was like literally the first I don't think you booth. actually overpaid. You overpaid based I, on your principle. But I paid for the value of the comic. And the guy was very clear about that. He's like, I can well, give you. Of course he was. Like, because he did have haunted love issues. Yeah. Where he's like, I cannot give you a deal on these because these are so rare. Yeah. But I can give you a deal on these other yeah. comics that you're interested in. Yeah. And so I ended up buying those. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. But like, why am I paying? Paying for something that I have stated publicly that I don't value. Because 
I contain multitudes. Right. And if I contradict myself, like, you know, that's just the human and condition. you're on a journey, you know, you're, you, with your comic book collecting. Right. And it's okay if you want some pristine copies of some of your favorite types of stories. Right. You know, <laughs> I have many different versions of Harlan Ellison novels, you know, or short story collections. Like, that, he is an author that when a new version of, you know, Deathbird stories comes out or Shatterday or whatever... I will buy it because that collection represents something more than its contents, you know, which is a weird thing. It's a weird thing. And, and, you know, uh, if you can afford to do so, I think that's all right. I just wish I hadn't done that at my very first table. Because then (laughs) after that, like, I go, ooh, there's this, like, single issue weird, like, Kool-Aid comic. Yeah, which you did buy. Which I did buy, but I felt guilty about the money I had already spent. Yeah, in San Diego, not only did that like really send you on this rabid consumption of Charleston comics and romance comics in general, but you discovered promotional comics. I love promotional comics. I love weird educational comics. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like there's this one uh, Disney comic starring Donald Duck that was released in the seventies about the gas crisis. How can I not buy that? (laughs) Yeah. 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 And so, uh, you know, Baltimore, unlike a lot of other cons, like, the back issues is really where it's at. And if you've been hunting for, say, oh, I don't know, Hot Wheels, number <laughs> one, the Alex Toth comic, you will find it there. Now, you might not find it there for a reasonable price or a price within your budget, but you will find it there. And we did find Hot Wheels, number one, for $180. And we did not buy it, but we now know it's possible to get it. <laughs> Do you know what I did not find mm. that I've been desperately scrounging for is more issues of Angel Love. From DC Comics. You found one. You found the first issue. Oh, yeah, I did. You found the first issue. I did, I did. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you did get one. You didn't find the others that you were missing. So you're about like uh, two-thirds of the way through to completing that set, I believe. And I was looking for... Um, Adventure Comics issues 418 and 419, which have the Alex Toth Black Canary uh, story in it. And I did find them, but not for the price I wanted to pay. I wanted $5 or less than $10, and most of them were 30 bucks or more. Uh, so I left those on the floor. My favorite thing that we discovered at uh, Baltimore Comic Con this year is that on Friday night, uh, Small Press Expo sponsored the world premiere yes. of the documentary Married to Comics at the AFI Silver in Silver Spring, Maryland. And we attended that screening. And I, I want to do a longer segment about Married to Comics on a future episode, maybe next week's episode even. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely want to write a review for the Comic Book Couples Counseling website. Uh, but that is a documentary about cartoonists Carol Tyler and Justin Green, a married couple who are often considered the, uh, well, Justin is really considered the father of the biographical graphic novel because in 1972, he published Binky Brown Meets the Holy Virgin Mary. And that was an inspiration to Art Spiegelman in creating Mouse, an inspiration to Robert Crumb. You know, he was part of that San Francisco underground scene. And the documentary starts off kind of a little... um, Like A Star is Born. Well, it starts off like uh, a Talking Heads documentary, yeah. you know, oh, where yeah. you know Robert Crumb is talking and Art Spiegelman's talking, and they're all justifying Justin Green's placement in the uh, you know Hall of Fame of cartoonists. But then the director John Kinnart is he becomes entrenched 
in the lives, in the home of Carol Tyler and Justin Green. And that's when it goes from like A Star is Born, like their origin story, to something much more complicated and something I was not at all anticipating. And by the end of that film, I was an emotional wreck. Mm. By A Star is Born, I mean like Justin Green, as he was kind of dwindling in significance. Oh, yes. Carol Tyler's career started blowing up. Yes, yes. So you do see this like decline of output of one and this explosion of creativity from the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would highly recommend it if you are a fan of comic books, but even if you're not a fan of comic books and you're just interested in people's relationships and romantic entanglements, Married to Comics is a fantastic watch. It doesn't have a distribution yet. They are going to announce something hopefully soon, but we saw it at the AFI Silver. Uh, Gary Groth from Fanographics hosted a Q&A with John Kinnart and Carol Tyler in attendance. Carol and Justin's daughter was sitting to our left. After the screening, they were selling comics below the giant screen at the AFI Silver using Venmo, but they didn't have Binky Brown meets the Holy Virgin Mary. So on Saturday, we're back at you know Baltimore Comic-Con, and I find one copy of Binky Brown meets the Holy Virgin Mary first print 1972. And it was the most expensive thing we bought that weekend. $50 man. Uh, like, wow. I think we definitely need to do a one pod stand with Binky Brown. Oh, totally. totally. Because it's about, you know, looking at religiosity through an OCD lens and how maddening that can be and how paralyzing that can be. The comic is out of print right now, which is one of the reasons why the, it's so expensive. Uh, and every like reprint of it is out of print as well. And even those reprints from you know the 90s are pretty expensive. Uh, but Carol Tyler did hint that it might actually be coming out in some form in the near future. But not Fantagraphics, right? No, it didn't sound like it was Fantagraphics. <laughs> Gary Groth uh, kept a mum on it. Uh, so I think we should definitely do that when more people have access to Binky Brown. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to do it now and like force our listeners to spend, you know, $50 on a single issue comic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that was a highly emotional experience. And then on Sunday, we went to Small Press Expo. And Small Press Expo, if you've never gone, it's basically like the best artist alley that's on the planet. And every table offers something unique and rather incredible. And as a result, it is the most deadly to your <laughs> wallet. Yeah. And we had dropped a chunk of change at Baltimore Comic Con and SPX almost, you know, took us out of house and home. What I love about SPX is that it feels very egalitarian. Mm. Where you can go to the Fanographics booth and get these... <laughs> gorgeous tomes, like these beautiful hardcover embossed books. And then you go to the next table and it's like some guy like, hey, I printed this in my basement. Yes, it's so good, so good. And those basement comics are often the most precious items that you bring home from SPX. Yeah, I found just for like $3, like a $3 impulse buy, I found the sweetest most introspective comic from the perspective of someone who was trained as a classical singer. Yeah. Uh, the creator is Andy Lindquist, and the comic is called What You Owe and What You Own. And it's a really intimate story about the cognitive dissonance Andy suffered 
being trained as a classical soprano and being celebrated as a classical soprano. Hmm. I, I haven't read it yet, but that's on the pile of mini comics that I plan to get through this weekend. You know, it's also a con that you get the most FaceTime with the cartoonists mm -hmm. and a lot of our friends are there. A Karen Charm tables at SPX and we were able to buy their latest uh, X-Men fanzine and we bought a, a the Wolverine, Cyclops and Jean print. Their we last got their one. last copy and it has like, this is the last copy <laughs> stickers on it. And we're like, we're keeping these stickers keeping on. Those stickers and Karen is doing a poster for us to celebrate our fifth anniversary which we have not talked about yet. And they yet. gave us a sneak peek <sighs> and it is so amazing. I am dying to share this poster with you listeners. It's really something special. It's very emotional to look at as uh, uh, as, as comic book couples counseling. And, the, and a lot of the little details they include they came up with on their own, yes, yeah. which we, I think is extra, extra, extra sweet. Often when we go to Karen with a poster idea, you know, like our our main show poster, you know, which is obviously inspired by that classic Cliff Chang, Green Arrow, Black Canary poster. We went to them with like, can we get an homage of this image? But for our fifth anniversary, the only thing we said to Karen was, well, just something celebratory. Yeah. <laughs> and I, 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 they, they just nailed it. They just nailed it. It's really something special. Uh, we also, you know, met up with Kevin Alvier, who will be on the podcast later this month. But their book is out now. It's called Lisa Cheese and the Ghost Guitar, and it is freaking great. Uh, I tweeted recently that it's basically if Jack Kirby tabled at mm -hmm. SPX. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if you know what that means, you know what that means, and you're incredibly excited about it. Uh, we ran into Zach Soto. We finally met Francois Vigneault at SPX and uh, got our copy of Titan signed by him. As cool and confident in person as he is on the pod. We ran into Heidi McDonald from The Beat, Jimmy Aquino from Comic News Insider. It's If you are at all within distance of Bethesda, Maryland, and even if you're not, you should plan your vacation around Small Press Expo. Uh, it is a massive convention for discovery. Yes. Like you go in there, you don't necessarily know what you're going to find. Maybe you're like, okay, I have to meet up with like Daniel Klaus, obviously, and get like Monica signed or whatever. Don't worry, Daniel Klaus wasn't there. You didn't miss him. Uh, <laughs> but there's usually like, you know, some headliners, but it's, it's the non-headliners that really make SPX something uh, unlike any other comic book convention. And we pray that it never lands on the same weekend as Baltimore Comic-Con again. Oh, yeah. No, please don't. Please I don't. I am still recovering. <laughs> okay, so the main focus of today's episode is Christian Ward and his new Batman comic, City of Madness, which comes from DC Comics on October 10th, the first issue. It's a three-issue series. And yes... It is inspired by Arkham Asylum, A Serious House on a Serious Earth from Grant Morrison and Dave McKean. And there is a conversation happening between these two comics. And we get into that with Christian Ward. But it really feels unlike anything else. It doesn't feel like Arkham Asylum, A Serious House on a Serious Earth in any way. This is not like an homage of Batman Arkham Asylum. It's more like an answer Mm. It's it's Christian Ward's answer 
to Arkham Asylum. Yes, yes. Okay, I like that. Yes. And I like the way that he goes like, Arkham Asylum, art-wise, is a complete expression of what Dave McKean can really accomplish in a book. And Christian Ward reached deep into himself and pulled out this amazing feat of artistry that I think is a complete expression of what Christian Ward can do today. Totally. So in preparation of this episode, I went to the DC website and I read the plot description of this book and I have regrets. Like the plot (laughs) description, because all I've read is the first issue and the plot description is a little bit spoilery. So I'm going to try to just tell you what you need to know to get into this conversation, which is we worked really hard to make it spoiler free. And we really, Brad edits this podcast. We really created an editing quagmire for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to have <laughs> to cut some stuff. I'm going to have to cut some stuff. Here's what you need to know. Batman Gotham City of Madness is about Batman having to go back to Arkham Asylum and discovering that there is an entire world underneath Gotham that is called Gotham Below. And there is something that is from Gotham Below that has come out. I mean, I think we can say what that something is. Christian definitely talks about it in this conversation. He's been tweeting about it. It's a Batman with a squid face, you guys. (laughs) It's the Batman Below. Yes, so this is definitely like a gothic horror And the Court of Owls has been in charge of keeping Gotham Below at bay. Yeah. But things have gone awry. That's all you need to know. Yeah, 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 yeah. You say gothic horror. I don't disagree, but it's also like cosmic horror. Yes. Cosmic horror in the sense of H.P. Lovecraft, but also it's not necessarily... Lovecraftian either. It's Lovecraftian. Well, Christian Ward talks about it. Christian Ward talks about it. If you're going to read something before you read... City of Madness, it should be Arkham Asylum. Don't you agree? Yes, I, I I think that's a great idea. But I also really enjoyed reading that first issue and then diving back into Arkham Asylum. Yeah, and, and so Asylum. that's what Lisa did. Lisa read City of Madness first, then read Arkham Asylum, a serious house on a serious earth. You always have to say it that way. I'm getting tongue twisted. <laughs> and then I read Arkham Asylum, a serious house on a serious earth, then read City of Madness. And so we had different experiences before going into this conversation. But both great. But... You know, even before going into this conversation, we have to do something else, Lisa. We have a new segment on the podcast that's sponsored by Omnibus, the digital comic store app. Omnibus is a modern digital comic book store and reader app carrying your favorite single issues, volumes, and omnibuses all day and date, just like your local comic book store. You pay per book but like digitally. Their focus is on building an excellent customer shopping and reading experience and using novel discovery features to help fans find their next new favorite book. They feature top tier content and already have many of the top publishers in comics today. In the spirit of helping people find their next new favorite book, we're launching a new referrals program. Referrals. Sponsored by Omnibus, on every comic book couples counseling episode. The idea is to help with some extracurricular reading beyond this week's title, but something that fans of this week's comic book may love too. What we mean by referrals is that we are your counselors and we feel like you need to do further reading on the themes that you encounter 
on Batman City of Madness. So Lisa has a comic book referral. I have a comic book referral. Both of these recommendations are currently available on Omnibus. And we think they sort of extend from the themes and conversations, like Lisa is saying, that we're having with Christian Ward about Batman City of Madness. What I am recommending is Tenement, part of the Bone Orchard Mythos by Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino from Image Comics. This book is about seven individuals who live in the same tenement house that are somehow soul connected to this staircase that is uh, apparently like some kind of hell mouth. Yeah. There are three issues out already and how I feel like it relates to Batman City of Madness is this idea that it deep inside of us, there is this kind of um, ugliness that bubbles forth and expresses itself in our lives like we all have a staircase inside us where we're hiding the parts of ourselves that we do not want to show or the parts of existence that we don't want to show but uh like like got like gotham below we are all connected by this darkness and the sooner we can talk about it the better we will function in the gotham above in in the tenement house you know this is the third entry that lemire and sorrentino have done in the bone orchard mythos and for me it's the most complete thought thus far i agree that i was going to say something similar and that it's also maybe the scariest one so far too (laughs) if you like to get the creeps this is the book for you. I mean, hopefully you've also read Gideon Falls so you know what you're in for. Mm -hmm. And Sorrentino and Lemire are just cranking that dial up a little bit on the fear factor. We talk about it in the interview, but I get really creeped out when the veil between reality and non-reality is lifted because I barely feel connected to reality. Absolutely, absolutely. That's a great pick, Lisa. I love it. I'm a little jealous. (laughs) I am sticking with Image Comics. I'm going going a little bit of a different route. I am picking Kill or Be Killed by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. It is a vigilante story. Um, It's about this poor kid named Dylan who is having an affair with his roommate's girlfriend, and that is causing all kinds of... um, doubt and self-loathing and it's he he suffers from depression and you know i think this comic is not for everybody it does deal with suicidal ideation and so i should put a trigger warning out there um but after uh, a failed suicide attempt dylan then starts to communicate with a demon mm-hmm. and the demon is telling him to kill bad people and Dylan engages with this demon and he goes out on a vigilante quest and it only gets sadder and darker and more disturbing from there. I have not been able to talk Batman without talking about like his, his, um, Yen for vigilantism yeah. comes from this toxic impulse. Yeah. And um, that's a theme that we see in Arkham Asylum. That is a theme that we see in Batman City of Madness. As so, well. Lisa, the reason I picked Kill or Be Killed is because I feel like it is the Batman comic that Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips would make mm-hmm. if they were following your philosophy <laughs> about Batman. And Lisa, 
It's a big time bummer. Oh, I can I can only imagine. I haven't read it yet, but I will. It's a it's a big time bummer, but it's also so well constructed and satisfying with its conclusion. It's unlike anything else that Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips have done. I hold them as two of the great comic book creators working in the field, just like I hold Christian Ward. Uh, but vibe-wise, like look-wise, something totally different than what you get in City of Madness too. So uh, yeah, uh, Killer Be Killed and Tenement are our referrals. Ooh, that was nice. I can't do it. I can't do it. You guys have a, a weekend of creepy reading. <laughs> yes, you do. So now let's get to this conversation with Christian Ward. We've been teasing it for about 30 minutes, but you are going to be well rewarded for your patience. And hopefully you enjoyed this first 30 minutes. I don't know why I'm treating the first 30 <laughs> minutes like it was some kind of why punishment. Are we, why are we apologizing for doing the podcast? Yes, this is what we do every week. <laughs> Uh, so yes, let's get into it. Let's invite Christian Ward into the love nest and talk Batman the City of Madness. Creek. I was trying to make it like a creepy door creak. Creek. Yeah, very good. Very good. Thanks. Christian, welcome back to Comic Book Couples Counseling. Hello. Old friends, I'm back again. Yay. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, I'm thrilled. Man. I am thrilled to be back. We're thrilled to have you back as well, especially talking about Batman, which is one of our deep obsessions. And Lisa and I have very different different viewpoints on Batman, and I'm sure that's going to like come up over the course of this conversation. <laughs> oh, you bet. You and bet. we'll oh, put excited. you on the spot and. Uh, yeah, we're gonna, I'm ready for you. I'm we're ready. Gonna, we're going to make you uh, tell us which one's right. Like, is Brad right or Lisa right? Uh, but before we get to that, before we get to that, mm -hmm. you basically manifested City of Madness. A year <laughs> ago, you put out this tweet saying, uh, one day you will do your cosmic horror Batman comic. And here it is. Twitter was your yeah. uh, vision board. So, My God. What's the compulsion to get this specific iteration of Batman out into the world? Um, I, this, this story has been in me far longer than that October 2021 tweet. This is something that has grown in me since I read Batman Arkham Asylum, A Serious House on a Serious Earth. Full title. Full you title. got to. Always you give, got to. Give it full title. And, you know, when, when I read that book, it, it, it um, I wouldn't say it changed my life, but it set the course of my life. You know, it was the first time I read something that, you know, that book exists on a whole different plane. I mean, I read it when I was 13. I mean, I, I've never done drugs. I know it's hard to believe with my work, <laughs> but I've never done drugs. But that book was like my first trip. You know, as a 13-year-old, looking at that and just, like, it blew my mind. Even even the fact that it went from scratchy pencils at the start when he's with Commissioner Gordon to kind of, like, this Baroque painting and, and mixture of photography as they go into the asylum. I just I couldn't get my head around how those two things mesh together. And I'd read comics, you know, as a child and, you know, in my young teens. And I understood that the idea of adventure and action and biff, baff, buff and all that business. But like that book, there's none of that, really. 
and it's all it's such as kind of on a psychological psychological kind of like you know grounding and just purely braced around a, a kind of gut feeling of emotion and then dread that it just changed my way of thinking about comics even at that young age and set me thinking towards the idea of these things being like quite important even though at the time you know only 13 years old couldn't perhaps like verbalize what I am now um I, I just knew this is special and then yeah, from that point on I mean I'd always been a Batman fan but I really wanted to do a Batman story and, and like all my work through, you know, doing my GCSEs and then my A-levels when I was at school in the UK, it was all, you know, all my work was McKean, McKean, McKean. You know, I just copied his work like crazy. So really, it, it, it's been always looking for what would my Arkham Asylum be? What would be my Batman that would allow me to create something so visually different and so visually pure and and our Batman City of Madness was there and actually it became a kind of pseudo sequel to the um to the original book in some ways that you know you guys have read the issue so you'll know some of this but particularly as the as the series goes on the connections and the roots that are laid in Arkham Asylum become more and more apparent, and it's really effing cool. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's just been something that I've really wanted to do for a long time, and I didn't want to retread Arkham Asylum, and I didn't want to kind of retread what McKean does visually in Arkham Asylum or what Grant Morrison, what they did with their script, you know, their story. It's this is very much its own thing. But I think the inspiration to do something kind of that's all me in the way that that was all theirs, that's that's where the liberation has come from. You know, I can do this, I can do something completely my take and completely like, what would my Batman be? So that's what this is. I was about the same age when I read Arkham Asylum. Uh for the first time i had not read it in a long time but after reading the first issue of city of madness this morning i was like lisa we gotta like before we talk to christian we have to read this again and i went looking through our shelf and i couldn't find it what? and it was driving what? me crazy <laughs> so we got in a car it's we, somewhere in here we don't know where it is we drove to uh our local barnes and noble and we bought a new edition and we read yes. it again and i feel like since the book has come out and you know the conversation around it has you know solidified it as the masterpiece that it is and then you know the arkham asylum video games have come out and uh you know borrowed and rift and done their own thing on it i feel like We've almost forgotten how, I mean, I guess what I'm really saying is I had forgotten actually how good Arkham Asylum is. I it's mean, incredible. it truly is a masterpiece. Yeah. The combination of Morrison and McKean, uh, like, uh, like, there's no question here. It's just like, it, it's astonishing. And I would just yeah. encourage everyone to revisit that work. Yeah, it's just... It's mind-blowingly good. It's just, and like, to be clear, like, 
I had to do something different because there's no point even trying to get so close to that because there's no point. Like I'd, I'd be a little blink next to a, a sun. You know, it just it, it is just such a pure piece of art. It's that simple. Um, and I, I just I adore the book and I read it. I reread it at least once a year and just absorb it. It's, yeah. it's just it's magic just just the kind of like the the relationship between Morris and McKean and what they've kind of created between them it's just alchemy in my mind and you know when we read the city of madness issue I caught the references but I also was like oh it's not at, like to your point it's not a duplication a replication in any no. way no, it's it like, I, I, I hope I've been smarter than that. I mean, I know I, I can't really give too much away. Sure, sure. It, it, it'll, it'll kind of become, that's kind of the mystery of it, is it kind of unweeds. Uh, and, and by the end of issue three, there'll be more of a sense of like kind of how these two stories connect, but they absolutely do connect. Um, but there are little hints and like secrets dotted along the way, but it's also its own thing. You know, it's also, if anyone hasn't read Arkham Asylum, they can pick up City of Madness and you right from the go, you'll be fine. You know, you don't even really even need to know Batman um, and you'll be fine. Uh, I wanted to create something that I didn't want it to be weighed down with. You've got to know who this character is and you've got to know who that character is. And hopefully any new character that's introduced, I've introduced them in a way that I would in any narrative. So you get a sense of who they are relatively quickly in order to kind of progress how we feel about them and, and what's happening in their lives, et cetera. But um, yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I have to say, you know, I, when you do any kind of like existing character, and this is more true with Batman than perhaps any other character, you are standing on the shoulders of giants, you know, and I, I completely acknowledge that, you know, this book would not exist without that, you know, without, the people that have trailed the the blaze, the the path in front of me. Um, so you know, it's. I hope this is a love letter to those creators that have come before, and I hope people read it in such a way that you know I love those books, and I'm kind of this is my hymn to them. What has gotten me so excited with this first issue of City of Madness, like it has really like ignited my imagination because I feel like. One of the biggest fallacies of Batman was that Batman was the result of this mastermindedly rational decision. Like, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I, I'm looking around and I have the resources and this is what I've got to do. Like, it just makes mm -hmm. the most sense. Like, so for mm -hmm. me, like a cosmic <laughs> Batman makes way more sense. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, like, did that inspiration come from like a similar frustration? No, well, I would I would say that I mean this is that I mean you guys obviously were big kind of you know supporters of my previous book Bloodstained Teeth, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that in regards to this. Hopefully, in a way that I can kind of talk about Batman City of Madness without spoiling too much. But I would say what I did, and please jump in and correct me if if you <laughs> if you or, you know or, or add or whatever. Um, I feel like in Bloodstained Teeth, I really love vampire law but I wanted to do a spin on it and I wanted to kind of change things and you know, I wanted to kind of like you know look at that law from a different angle but 
it was always done with affection for the law and for love of the law. It wasn't done in a way to ridicule the law or say, well, this law is silly. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with this. Like, I love Batman and I love every kind of version of Batman that's existed. And really, this is this is I had to to be able to kind of write him and to be able to kind of get my head into him and his world and also explore the themes that I wanted to do that meant I had to kind of like do a certain spin I mean the whole book if I can kind of talk a little bit thematically about what you know Bloodstained Teeth was about capitalism and about the issues of capitalism and looking at the idea of billionaires as vampires in our real world this is about trauma and the whole book is about trauma um specifically it's about weaponized trauma and how people can weaponize that both within themselves but also within other people um so really it's it's about in the same way that bloodstained teeth was a kind of like ode to how important healthcare is one could argue this is an ode to how important medical and uh, mental health care is uh, and how important kind of therapy is and how important, you know, all those things are. But wrapped up in a story of, of cosmic horror and and vigilantism and crime and, and you know, a very exaggerated pulpiness. Um, but in order for me to write and write characters, I have to have a kind of framework of what am I actually trying to say with this story? Because I, I that's the way I write. It can be, I want it to be fun. I want it to be exciting, but there has to be a, a foundation there to kind of build all the excitement on top of. And that's what that is. You have this moment where Barbara Gordon pops in and she just <laughs> kind of like offhandedly muses, like, you know, maybe if, Bruce could just talk about his feelings, Batman would have never existed. Mm -hmm. And for me, I too love Batman, but I've come down on the side of like, Batman was a bad idea that Bruce Wayne with good intentions has way overcommitted to and is now mm -hmm. like kind of like trapped underneath. And like, for me, this book underscores Batman is a toxic impulse. He is the result of a toxic impulse and the idea of male stoicism. Like mm -hmm. by, there was this longstanding idea that men not talking about their feelings was like this incredibly heroic thing that they're doing. Mm -hmm. And, and I do feel like this cultural sea change of guys going like, actually, maybe talking about my feelings would be a good thing. Cause I don't want to be that guy in the in the basement like the angry guy in the basement um so like is this is male or the angry guy in the abyss perhaps yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so so this is a sea change you feel do you want to talk yeah, a little bit uh, about it a hundred percent you know you know i'm you know i i you know as I, i'm gonna speak as a man who's been in therapy you know and as a uk man that is far less common than you know somebody from the you know from north america um you know i think therapy changed my life um and i wouldn't have any of this now i wouldn't be with my wife or have this beautiful life that i have now without therapy and there were things that I had to work through and, and sort of like deal with and 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 get to grips with. And 
that's an ongoing thing that I'm always going to have to do. And so for me, therapy has always been this incredibly powerful tool that, that I think is really important. Uh, and there's definitely a lot of that in this. There's definitely a lot of kind of like me looking at the world and being frustrated with just talk about it. Do you know what I mean? Just, But like, I also want to sort of say, you know, this is, it's still a Batman book and it's still, you know, it's, none of this is coming from a place of criticism of the character. I mean, one of the things that I always get frustrated with is, is that criticism of, of, you know, or if Batman, you know, if Bruce, Bruce Wayne wanted to solve Gotham's problems, he would yes. just donate all the money. And that, yeah, of course that's completely true, but then there'd be no story. Like, like, so yes, that's true. And, and, and yes, there's this idea of like, if you talk, you know, maybe there wouldn't be a Batman. So the, I want to discuss those things, but I don't want to negate who he is because if I do, then there's no story. Um, and, and like, and so this is where we bring in Batman Below. And for those people who don't know, the, the premise of the book is that um, there are two Gothams. There is Gotham above, our Gotham, and there is a Gotham Below that has kind of been born from this kind of like cosmic something. And it is being fed by the negativity and the anger and the hate from Gotham above. And it, it is a complete mirror copy of the city above. And it also has its own Batman. Batman Balone, who's the Cthulhu-like gentleman that everyone has seen. And really, the, the idea was as simple as... I mean, this, this book kind of, like, references Bruce Timm's Batman as much as anyone else's. And that line in Mask of the Phantasm, where uh, Alfred's talking to Batman, and he... And, you know, it's the scene in the cave, and he's looking into the chasm, and... And he says, I always worry that, you know, you're walking this line of the abyss and what happens when you fall into it. And it's, you know, the reference to the the, the saying, you know, looking to the abyss and the, the abyss looks back. And so it's as simple as if Batman looks into the abyss, who's the Batman that looks back? And this is the story of that Batman, the Batman in the abyss, the Batman who is is lost and is as dark as can be. And it's about how will the relationship how will their relationship change both of those characters my heart like breaks for your alfred because <laughs> he he wants to help bruce like so so badly and so entirely that he goes so far as to like write these letters to him and then immediately mm -hmm. burn them and like, and and I'm wondering a little bit, what is keeping Alfred from going like, hey, buddy, how you doing? Really? Just two guys talking. What is your Alfred afraid of? Is he afraid of like pushing Bruce over the edge or maybe like maybe Bruce will discover he doesn't need to be Batman anymore? And if you and if that's like spoilery. Yeah, I mean, I would say, I, I would say, you know, part of, of I mean, it's, in many ways, this is, you know, Alfred is a big he's the emotional through line of this book mm -hmm. um you know and I, i'm so glad to, to hear that this has broken your heart because that's absolutely what it was intended to do um and it's you know i, I wanted to write a book with the idea and i don't think this is wholly original but i really wanted to be at the forefront of mine i really wanted to write the book alfred is 
Bruce's dad. Mm-hmm. He's his dad. Um, he is. Do you know right. what I mean? It's like, yeah, like totally. he's his dad. And like, I don't know, like, and I really wanted to sort of explore that idea of like, this is not some guy that works for him or or they've got a close relationship. It's his dad. So that's how I that's how I approached it. But like conversations that you know you need to have with your loved ones, even if you you know you need to have them, they're not always easy. I mean, you know what show I'm loving at the moment? It, everybody's loving it. You know, the bear. The bear does yeah. that beautifully. You know, you just you just you just just, just talk, just talk, and it will sort of. <laughs> but there would be no story if they talked. And the, and but it's true to life, you know. We we've, we've all had difficult conversations that because you know, like what you say, it's it, you never know. You never know how it's going to go. Alfred doesn't know how that conversation is going to go, but he loves Bruce. He doesn't know if he's going to be upset. He doesn't know if he's going to push him away, and so they just carry on, you know. And and the Bruce and and. Alfred relationship that that you know and don't want to say too much when people will I mean I, I think I can kind of you know it's pretty much quite apparent from like the very first pages they're kind of living very separate lives yes mm-hmm. yeah you know I, I didn't want the idea you know in the in the films and the you know of the comics Alfred's always there and then he's awakening them in the day tending the house I'm like that yeah. wouldn't happen Alfred would be awake in the day and back Bruce would be awake at night. They would never meet. They're like that. They're like just like completely like ships in the night. They never meet. Um, and I, I really wanted to explore that idea of like, how would you maintain a relationship with your child when you never, you, you're never there? And, and that, that relationship is so constricted by fear of, of you know, because Bruce is in constant danger and there's constant danger is in constant like ever increase decreasing circles could come home you know so it's like they have all these safety protocols that they have to follow so it's just they're trapped within a labyrinth of their own making uh, and the book's really about that and that time together also becomes like more precious like if you're mm-hmm. only seeing a relative on thanksgiving and christmas like those tough conversations you can't have them precious and urgent urgent yeah yes. yeah yeah yeah. yeah, You know, and I think kind of like for all of, and I hope this is true about all my writing, but you know, as you guys know, I'm not like, I'm still a relatively new writer, but I approach all my characters, hopefully from a place of emotional truth. And like as long, and I feel like as long as all the characters have like an emotional truth that is true to them and they do what they would do, then I can do all the kind of crazy stuff that's going on around it. And they will be the emotional through line that will take us through, you know, the wild. I mean, and this book gets wild. I mean, the first issue only really dips our toe. We are going to go. We're going to go to some even crazier places. Um, You know, I mean, we, you wait until we get to the city. I mean, that Mm. first issue, you, you know, you only get a little, hints of it um so yeah but that's only possible if there are characters and i think this is a spielberg thing right this is like what he does it's having characters that if they feel real then all the unreal stuff is completely viable i I mean look at poltergeist for one you know that that film is such a psychedelic crazy madhouse but it 
never feels unplausible because we buy every single one of those characters, why they're there, why they're doing what they're doing, and you buy their relationships with each of them, the parents and the children, the children with the parents, and you know, and the, the, the husband and wife. And you know that's what you've got to go for. As long as you've got the 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 reality of, of their relationships, and in this book, the rea- relationship that that's going to kind of anchor it all is Alfred and Bruce. That's what gets me so excited about this book, and and why I love your writing is the reason I'm concerned of like I don't know if Bruce is doing the right thing is because my heart bursts with empathy for Bruce Wayne, and then also for a Gotham that doesn't yeah. seem to be getting better because it's a metaphor it got my gotham's a metaphor for you know the psyche and mm-hmm. their psyche um you know and it, it's can it get better um that's the thing you also introduce a character in this story from another location who who enters gotham with a mission what is that impulse to have that character wander into this story I wanted a character, uh, and th- this young lad comes from Smallville in my story, and, and like it was really important to me that Smallville, and the way that kind of Superman represents love and acceptance and charity and kindness, he that's a complete opposite of Gotham. And so I wanted somebody from Smallville, from a place that, is a place of all those things of love and comfort and 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 safety and what would happen to that character as they're drawn into gotham you know and in many ways my you know the the city of madness of the title i wanted there to be some flexibility about which city i'm talking about mm. you know am i talking about gotham below or am I talking about Gotham above? And like, you know, if we tie this back to trauma, and what does trauma do to a person? I wanted to explore the idea that if you took a person from a place that was not broken, and a person that at the beginning of it was not broken, what would that, what would the trauma of Gotham do to that person? Um and so that's, that becomes a big tension of the story as we go through, like his journey becomes a big thing. Like, what is this city going to do to him when he was born from a place of love? I love that so much. I just, I'm just like, I'm, I'm just so taken aback by that answer. The idea of this like kind of binary of like, oh, you can end up above? Or you can end up below. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, I love it. Can we talk about Two Face a little bit? You've introduced. I love Two Face. He's my favorite villain. Clearly, clearly, you I feel the love through your kind of twist on his character. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about how Two Face makes you curious. How Two Face inspires you as a creator, mm-hmm. and a little bit of what inspired you to take him in this direction without spoiling. Yeah, God, that's hard, right? Because you guys know. Um, right, okay. <laughs> but I love Two-Face. I mean, Two-Face, Two-Face for me, it's weird, like, I, I like Two-Face for me is so close to Batman. I Like, he is mm-hmm. 
Batman's counterpoint in a way that kind of like the Joker isn't. I mean, the Joker is Batman's arch nemesis because they're completely different. Whereas I've always seen Two Face as Batman's mirror. And I'm sure there were books. I mean, I think even in The Dark Knight um, uh, Returns, I'm sure there's a line that talked about looking at my reflection, Harvey, or something like that. So it's nothing new. But like, I love this idea. And it's not always mentioned in his stories that he was Bruce's friend. They were mates, you know, and obviously we see that a little bit in, you know, the film The Dark Knight. But there, there was love there. They love each other. They're, they're friends. And so uh, what does that do as a, as a person? If you're uh, the hero and you have to repeatedly pound and beat up your mates who you loved, what does that do to both of you? Um, and I just I find that really I find that relationship really interesting uh, that that really it's almost Shakespearean that there are the that there's the two there's a relationship beyond the violence and that's what makes the violence interesting and exciting not in a visceral way but just in, in like a a conflict way and I also like the idea that. If we follow the kind of logical progression of like what Two Face is, a toss of the coin, and he will do something bad. I like the idea that we'll then sure if we follow that through, the right side landing would mean he would do something good, mm-hmm. surely. So could Two Face be a good guy if the coin comes down the right side? Uh, and that's kind of the that's the tightrope I'm going to walk with this character. Like, like you know, there is going to be a real sense of, and I really want to, and I, I read up a lot about kind of, of um, dissociative disorder. This, yeah, dissociative, yeah, yeah. So I really wanted to look at the idea of this. And so Two-Face is not he in my book, he's a they. There's two of them. Uh, and they are, and so we have Two-Face, there are two characters. Uh, so there's, there's, you know, there's two characters and um, and that I wanted the idea that both those characters would be disparate. They are different characters who are doing different things and linking it all back to trauma. Bad Harvey exists to absorb the trauma. He's done that to kind of protect good Harvey. So is bad Harvey that bad if he right, exists yeah. to protect good Harvey? Um, so there's a lot. I, he's a very rich character for me. He's one of the. I mean, all of you spoiled for choice with Batman's rogues. They're all rich, but I love him, and like I really wanted to. I wanted to have a character that. I mean, I'm going to spoil it, but I'm hoping when when readers and you you can kind of like tell me if this worked for you or if it didn't. I really want readers to go and get to the end of his first conflict with Batman and be surprised by the outcome of that conflict. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> Success. Know. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like, and that for me was just like, I did, you know, and hopefully, you know, hopefully there's enough action and, and excitement in this book that people aren't going to feel dissatisfied. But this book, I didn't want it just to be pow, boom, bang, bang, boom, boom. I wanted that. To, I wanted the conflict to be far more about people trying to connect and not being able to connect, and and and, and you know, within this faith, and you know. Very fantastical and very hopefully exciting uh, monster-filled world. Um, 
you're watching Brad and I, we give each other signals underneath the table of who gets to talk next. And we are currently having an argument. <laughs> so, like You won. I won, as I usually do. Um, you're taking Two-Face to a place, like I've always interpreted Two-Face as like nihilism, where he's like a guy who's like, oh, well, clearly the trauma in my life shows that like, good choice, bad choice, it doesn't really actually matter. They are equal, so it might as well be the toss of a coin. But you bringing up this idea of, you know, if the odds fell a little bit differently, yeah, he would be good. And I, that just inspires me. I guess Brad was right. I didn't yeah. have a question. <laughs> Did you feel that thing of, this is an element of Two-Face that has always been there, and not been explored or are you going like this could be a thing that is there in two-face you know or is this is this the true two-face to you or do you feel like this is like a he's my, my two-face do you know what i mean he's had he's like you know i've been given this very privileged opportunity to write the character and and my take on the character as with batman as with alfred and anyone else who might show up my take on the character does not negate other characters' right. takes on the characters. Right. Um, and I love the other takes, but that's not how I've written him. I, I had to write him from a place of, you know, reality and, and love. You know, you, you know, I've got to love these characters, even if they're bad guys, I've got to understand them um, to be able to write them in a way that we will connect with them. You know, I mean... It, it was very important that Two Face was in this book because the, as you as you'll know, because you've read it today, Two Face ends Arkham Asylum series House on Series Earth. He ends it, and he ends it by making a choice of his own. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's such a crucial thing. And really, when you read that book, he's the really the only character that changes or makes a decision right. about the whole thing. It's just him, and and he he makes this decision. Well. I've made that choice. And that humanity of like, this isn't, you know, yeah, of course they're comic book characters and, and the cartoon characters and like, they can be two dimensional and, and fun and exciting. And that's brilliant, of course. But I love takes where it's like, give them some humanity and just let's understand them. Because if we understand them, it doesn't take away, if we do it right, it doesn't take away from the horror and the visceralness of a character or the, or the fact that this character can be terrifying. If anything, if we do it right, it can make them even more terrifying. Um, mm. And that's, you know, that's hopefully, with all of the characters I'm, I'm, you know, putting in, you know, hopefully you put a drop of love in everybody, then it makes them more human and that makes the monster a little bit more monstrous because choice becomes involved. Yeah, I mean, that's comic book couples counseling. That's what we believe about every character. And what I love about Gotham, like that idea of like, Batman could have just as easily been the Joker or any other Mm. person, you know? Yeah. Arkham Asylum. uh, Mm -hmm. One of the, the, like when they introduce Two-Face into Arkham Asylum and we've seen how Dr. Ruth, has kind of broken Two-Face by Mm -hmm. introducing, you know, we weaned him off of his coin. We got him to use a die and that gave him six choices. And then tarot cards. Yeah. And then tarot Mm -hmm. cards. And then we're going to introduce him to the I Ching. And we we see 
what that has done to Two-Face at the beginning and how Batman sees that therapy. And it's such a brilliantly sad moment in that book and horrific moment in that book. And so now you're using Two-Face in City of Madness and you don't replicate that in any way. It's a a completely different thing because in Arkham Asylum, uh, Dr. Adams goes like, what he is suffering from is a lack of options. Like if he was a person with more options, he would become more sane, right? We like as a culture, we as a society, as human beings, we are spoiled for choice. And some of them, some of us still end up super, you know, which was Mm -hmm. Batman's interpretation of that. I feel like the city of madness Two-Face is completely different from that Mm -hmm. in a way that I think it comes from that place of like, (laughs) of, um, of going like, well, maybe it's a defense, it's a defense mechanism. Like yeah. it's Harvey's defense mechanism. What happens when that defense mechanism stops working? What I see in City of Madness <laughs> is Christian Ward picking mm. up on the love that Grant Morrison and Dave yeah. McKean yes. contribute like yeah. delivered upon Two-Face and then wanting yeah. to keep loving Two-Face, you know, but yeah. in a new way. 100%. 100%. Like I've done it in my way, but but with the same loving intention um because i you know i like two-face what is 100 100% my favorite villain like i i think he's and he's you know it, it, i mean it, it kills me that he's never really been done properly in film like yeah he just hasn't uh, like even even in the dark night i hate him in the dark night it just to me that's not two-face yeah um because Two Face should be really nuanced and sad, and you know, and he's like almost there, but he's just almost you know doesn't work for me. And let, let's not talk about the other one. Um, um, <laughs> I, I love this, by the way. <laughs> Brad has some uh, a, a lot of a lot of things he could say about the, the Dark Knight. I, I'm I'm more uh, a Batman Begins person, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love Batman Begins. I think okay. it doesn't get it. It doesn't get it agreed, and actually, and actually, in in many ways, I prefer Dark Knight Rises to to Dark Knight. Um, I do too. Yeah, like we are like, in the minority, yeah, my yeah, friend. Yeah, I know. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I don't know. It's a great film. It's a great film. Sure, and, agreed. You know, but um, but it's it's the first half is better for me than the second half. Um, whereas, I mean, I think Batman Begins is almost a perfect film. In regards to kind of superhero films, I think it's you know phenomenal, and I think even though the Dark Knight Rises, there's lots in the Dark Knight Rises that doesn't work, but it's such a bold shoot for the sky film, and it does so many interesting things that I kind of forgive it of of so many kind of like slightly wonky and slightly kind of awkward things here and there because it's just so like it's really fun. The, the yeah. last film it's really like it's bonkers and it actually feels far more like the first batman begins feels like a like a comic dark knight to me never felt like a batman comic it felt like a gangster film with people in costumes mm-hmm. whereas dark knight rises feels like a dc summer event yes yes and i love that about it i know that you're in a very precarious position because you're writing batman and you know you're inviting that when you write batman you're inviting criticism um 
of your take on Batman because everybody mm-hmm. has their like little headcanon. I'm mm-hmm. just I'm just shooting off irresponsibly because nobody really cares what I think, which is great. To me, like I see Batman as a guy who's like who has been watching Gotham like it's a jar that everybody can't get open like nobody can pop open the jar of of uh of Gotham City to make Gotham City a better place and so he's the guy who goes just like just give me the fucking jar and I can twist the top off you know Mm. so to me Batman is a guy who's like I have the most resources and since I have the most resources I'm entitled to try to fix Gotham I can do it on my own I can do it on my Mm. own so like when he hears like if there was more money in mental health, the world would be a better place. And it just is just like it just doinks right off of his cowl. Like he doesn't even he doesn't even re- like receive it. You're presuming that Batman is not a deeply selfish man. Right. No, I think he is a deeply selfish man. The, I think he is no. a deeply selfish man. But like that just because you're deeply selfish doesn't mean that one, you know that you're selfish and two, exactly. you are a bad person. I think exactly. that a, a person with really good intentions know. can still fuck up an entire city real bad. Yeah, he doesn't know. Because, like, look, look, look at the reality of it. He's like, he's up all night fighting crime. And he's up all night not just fighting crime, he's up all night solving crime. Multiple crimes. I can tell you from doing multiple projects at once and often working quite late. My mind's tapioca. I can't do anything other than this. I'm completely focused on this. I can do this really well, but anything else, I'm not even considering. And that, to me, is Batman. Mm. He is he is like a shark on crime. My Batman is Hamlet. Mm. He's Hamlet. He is a young prince who's, in this case, both father and mother have been taken away, and he's trying to get revenge. But he can't because the person that that's killed them has gone. He does, you know, doesn't. Know. I mean, in my my canon, there's no, you know, Joe Chill has gone, and like that, that's done. He can't. He can't achieve that vengeance in the same way that Hamlet cannot. Like he can't bring himself to do the things he needs to do, and what he wants to do is kill himself, and he can't bring himself to do that, and all that. And he creates this this atmosphere around him where everybody Ophelia uh, and everyone they all suffer because of him and like he's first for vengeance my Batman is that he's a person who is deeply damaged by the thing that has happened to him and he wants to feel better and he thinks the way to feel better is to take revenge but how are you going to take revenge on somebody who's gone he can't. So he just keeps doing it over and over and over. And it's all he knows. Vengeance. Crying, crying, crying. Make you pay, make you pay, make you pay. It's not about him trying to make the city a better place. He's a vigilante trying to kind of control his trauma. So earlier in this conversation, we were talking about how we ty- we kind of get tired of people going like, well, if Batman just took his money that he was putting into Batmobiles and Batcaves and whatnot and applied it to, you know, actual resources for mental health and uh, government institutions, uh, it, 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 he would, you know, he would fix things. But that approaching Batman in that way, that that argument, which has been around for a long time, 
yeah. is boring. Yes. And yet we, and I think you still like exploring yeah. those serious questions while also going, it's a Batman comic, you know, let's yeah. have fun. Why? hundred percent. And how can we do that? Yeah. That's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. Like I want my cake and I want to eat it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because like, I don't want anyone, you know, there's so many comics on the shelves at the moment, so many great comics on the shelves. And like, you know, we've, we've all only got a certain amount of money that we can spend on comics. You know, I don't want anyone to pick up my book and feel like they're being lectured or feel like they're, they're, they're having a kind of like, you know, discussion about, you know, the state of mental health and mental health kind of, you know, it, or whatever that's in it. But it's a Batman story and it's exciting and he jumps off roofs and he fights people and he doesn't care about punching someone so hard in the face, every bone breaks. Uh, and, you know, and it's this, you know, I, I for me, Batman's a pulp character more than a superhero character. He is somebody who is, he's not always going to be a nice guy. He will always try and save the a person and, and he'll always try and do the right thing and he'll never use a gun and he'll never kill somebody. But he's not, a, he's a damaged man and he's going to beat the crap out of some people um, because in a way that's his therapy. So what is it about Batman who has had so many creators contribute so many good stories? There's a lot of bad stories out there, but there are so many good, many good stories. What is it about that character that doesn't keep you away? What what is it about that character that 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 forces you to like to try to contribute something? to this very long narrative. Just love. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was going to say, is it arrogance? I don't know, but I don't think it is. I think it's love. I think it, it's, it's. I love this character so much. And like, I've, you know, I mean, I, I, you probably can't see, but there's so much Batman there. I mean, look, I mean, like, you know. It's, yeah, I can see, I I love, can see I, stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I love the guy, you know, and like, you know, and I don't know if I'll ever do Batman again, but if I did, it would probably be a completely different take on him with a completely different psychological makeup and a completely different outlook. And it would still be Batman. It would still be Batman. Um, yeah. You know, and I think kind of that's the, that is what's so incredible about this character. I mean, let's not forget, we've got you know, the Dark Knight, the Batman, Lego Batman, all existing within the last yes. few, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and that they're, they're all Batman, and they're all good. They're all, they're all good, and that's the thing. Like, kind of like, you know, I, I feel I felt like it was safe for, for me to be bold and different with this character because he was such, uh, um, he's such solid and yet intangible character that. It doesn't matter how I write him. It doesn't matter, like, kind of, like, what I do with him. It won't, it, that'll that'll exist within the bubble of my book. And, and hopefully people will love it. And hopefully people will, will be excited about it and, be you know, get something new out of it. 
but it can sit on the shelf next to, you know, The Imposter, which came out a couple of years ago. It will sit on the shelf next to Court of Owls. It will sit on the shelf next to countless others. And, and none of them will negate either one. They will all be Batman. You know, and I think kind of, yes, there are people out there that like Batman a certain way. And that's great. But for me, I like Batman in lots of different flavours. Um, and this this is my flavour. Um, and I just felt like if I could do, there's not many characters you can do a really radical take on without feeling like you're disrespecting that character. But Batman's one of them. You know, you can be quite brutal with certain things and it's still, as long as you're true to kind of like the core principles of the character, I think it still works. But I think that's something that the reader has to learn that that this flavor, this like Rocky Road flavor doesn't betray my cookies and cream flavor, yeah. Batman, right? And I remember, you know, back in the 90s when Joel Schumacher made Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, I was like, this isn't Batman. I don't like it. Mm. But now I go back and I look at those things. I was like, how rad is it that Batman can be this it can be Adam it West. Is. It can be Dick Sprang. It can be Frank Miller. It can be Christian Ward. Yeah, uh, 100%. Like, I, I, he's such a remarkable character. And I I don't think there is another character anywhere that is so flexible. I can't think of one. I mean, yeah, you can have kind of characters and you can kind of do slightly different takes. I mean, Spider-Man, you can do slightly different takes. But he's... It's really just Spider-Man. It's just like a different skin. Um, whereas this, it, it, him, he's so radically different so many times. Um, you know, and I just I think that's what I think that's really cool. I mean, my kids love Batman, but they, they don't watch they don't yeah. watch all like the Dark Knight and everything. They watch kind of you know the the kind of the kids show versions and they love him. Um, you know, and they'll come in and they'll they'll see me drawing them and be like, Batman. <laughs> oh, it's beating someone else covered in blood. <laughs> um, you know, it's just what an amazing character. And, you know, what an incredible thing. What a privilege to be able to sort of to have been given the keys to him. You know, and obviously I share the keys with with multiple people at the same time. There's loads of Batman books out. But what a privilege to sort of like be trusted with putting my my stamp on him. And that's the other thing that was was really cool when I was working on this, because when it got greenlit, there there's been no no's. Mm. Like at no point have as my editors, um, Chris Conroy, who's the group editor, and the fantastic Matthew Levine, who's my kind of like my personal editor on the book. You know, we me and Matthew would have Zoom calls talking, and I would be like telling him, okay, this is what's going to happen. And I was getting giddy, and then we're gonna, and then he's gonna, and then, and, and like, and Matthew on the other end of the phone, the, the Zoom call, that he would go, oh, oh, you know, and like, yeah, and they really like got what I was trying to say, and like got the whole thing with Alfred, and like what I was trying to do with that, and you know, everything's been, it, it couldn't have gone any better. There's and it gets like really trippy towards the end, like really wild. And at no point we're like, well, I'm not sure you can do this in a Batman book, mm. you know, because you can do it all. You can do it all. So flexible. I wonder if the longevity of Batman, the character, and the and the fact that his story can be retold and retold and retold, is that 
the center of his story is trauma. And trauma is the thing that we as a culture are all terrified to talk about. Like going like, if something really bad happens to me, will I become a bad person or something bad has happened to me and I'm having feelings? Am I, am I a bad, a bad person? It goes back to where this conversation started of like, if we knew how to talk about our feelings, would there be a Batman? And, you know, and honestly, maybe I prefer having Batman and talking about my feelings. And this is the, and this is the crux of the whole book, you know? And the other thing is like, like, you know, I wanted to kind of explore almost every single one of Batman's villains was created by trauma. Mm -hmm. And yet Batman doesn't go, hang on a minute. I recognize what you've gone through. Do you know what I mean? There's right. something. I mean, obviously, you you want to have fisticuffs and all that stuff, but there's some really interesting emotional tension there that I think is ripe for exploration. And um, you know, and hopefully, you know, I, I'm doing that with this book and just exploring the parallels between, you know, the trauma that created Harvey and the trauma that created Batman. You know, were those two events that different? Um, and you know, and it's I don't want to spoil who else is going to be in the, in the book coming up, but there's lots of characters that, that in Batman's Law that had a bad. Day. I mean, like they've just done a line of books, haven't they? That had a bad day, and that that one bad day kind of like you know that the trauma that that created spawned who they became. And um, there's so much lovely, rich emotional stuff there that you can kind of really get your teeth into. And we haven't even really talked about. The art in the book, and which is gorgeous. The uh, oh, gift. that artist, oh, <laughs> but like, what a gift it is to get a book that has such a singular voice because yeah. oh, mean, well, it is rare. It, it was quite lucky. I, I know the artist quite well, so I was able to kind of you know <laughs> twist his arm and code. You know, this I think this might be good. Um, look, thank you, thank you. Um, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> oh, you're, you're welcome. I'm going to give you your you're welcome. Um, is there anything, Christian, that we haven't discussed that you would want to discuss before we wrap this up? No, I don't think so. Okay. All right. Um, um, I think, like, I mean, uh, I mean, with the art, I mean, the one thing that's been really lovely is I've had, this has been a really wonderful project to work on and like I'm already feeling quite bereft that I'm two-thirds of the way through so I'm you know I've only got one issue left to do and it's done and and I'm already like oh my god how depressed am I going to be when this is done because it's like I started writing this in December so I've, I've known about this for a long time before I could talk about it which is why you can't shut me up now <laughs> and once it was written, I wrote the whole thing first and then I started to do the art. And my normal output, I mean, on a really good week, I can kind of do six pages, um, fully finished art, including covers in the, in the same week, on a really good week. Uh, I would say on an average week, I do about five pages. But for this, there has been some weeks where I've only done three. Mm. And that's because I've I've been able and I've been given the gift of time just to really labour on it, but not in a way that feels laborious or kind of overwrought, 
more just to have the time to just really make each page sing and so that in the same way and again i'm not mimicking mckean's artwork or trying to do what he did in that book but i feel like mckean was a very pure artistic intent to what he wanted to do and so i wanted to make sure that my book each page is a very pure artistic intent like this is pure me and i'm just really going for it in the same way that i would like i've put the same amount of effort into a page in this book that i would put into a cover so those people that know me for my cover work there's the same level of design and kind of paint and and tension and abstraction and just like hopefully excitement that you see in my covers in this book i mean i remember when i was working on it i'm in a kind of whatsapp group with a few friends a couple of friends and you know you share what you're working on at the moment and I would share pages with them and they were like oh that's a cool cover I was like oh that's not a cover it's a page and they were like what (laughs) um and that's but I've only been able to do that because I've been given the time you know um to sort of like to do it um you can only do that if you've got the time to do it and so I mean that's that's been the gift of this book just it's, it, it, I mean, it is. It's just a gift that, you know, I've, I really adore DC. You know, I've had such a wonderful time working with them and working with my editors. They've been so good and just so supportive of, of me doing my thing. I mean, it feels like a creator-owned book. Mm. Like I've, I've brought the same level of, like, me to it. Um, it just happens to be a creator-owned book that starts Batman. Well, Christian, thank you so much for just celebrating and 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 stewing in Batman uh, with us uh, here. Uh, we could talk Batman all day long, and as as I'm sure the listeners could tell by the way that we've edited around things in this conversation, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. really hard for us not to really dig into all the details of what you've done with City of Madness. So since we have you here trapped in a Zoom room, we're going to ask if you'd come back on and do a full spoilers ultimate let's do it. City of Madness conversation. Yeah, yeah, we, let's do it. Well, we'll, we'll um, maybe when like, yeah, even when the, the first issue hits or maybe we'll do it when the second issue hits and you, when some of the... Well, like, I mean, we could wait until like the trade hits, oh. right? Like, the- I mean, that that would uh, that would be the only way that I would not be a complete piece of Woo. during the entire <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> being completely insufferable, yeah, and having to be edited around as I ask yeah. very pointed questions from my very astute observations. <laughs> I mean, you are on. I will say this: you are on the money every single time. This your your take on Batman scratches such an itch for me this is the exact conversation about batman that i want to have which is which gets me which just is really excited it's a treat yeah it's That's a, a treat treat yeah, i'm not yeah. wearing too much and you'll also have to edit it around yeah. that well i now have a little sensor <laughs> musical thing that i do just for <laughs> my feelings are big and they they need adult words uh so christian for those that want to continue this conversation and maybe take a peek or two of the art that you've been uh leaking out on your socials where can they find you uh they can find me on twitter what yeah i'm not called in it the other thing we are, we are uh, either yeah, our protest yeah. is so weak but we refuse yeah yeah, yeah. But we're, we're doing so it they can, they can find me on twitter at cj ward art uh i'm also cj ward art uh on instagram 
Uh, I've also got a Substack newsletter, which I never send out. So if you want to be on the list and never get one, <laughs> feel free to join up. One day I'll surprise everybody, including myself. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll be I'll also be at New York Comic Con this year, which Yay. will be quite a treat because I'll be holding the book in my hand. Because ah, uh, that come uh, it comes out literally about three days before the show. Uh, and then I'll be at Thought Bubble here in the UK in November. Well, we'll be at New York Comic Con. We'll have to come and hang out with you for a little bit. Oh, yeah, do it, do it. I've got a table. I'm tabling there this year. You'll be able to find me. Rather than, rather than swanning around with Oscars I was last year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Christian, you have a wonderful evening. You too. And there you go, a hearty and hopefully heavily edited, so no <laughs> spoilers leaked in their conversation with Christian Ward about Batman City of Madness, issue one again coming out October 10th. I know we're only talking about issue one, and all I've read is issue one, and it's hard to not put my like own like expectations you know Ooh. expectations they're the enemy of a good time Dangerous. right it's hard for me to not put my own expectations on this comic that i already love so much but i love being able to talk about batman city of madness being in conversation and being a, a spiritual continuation of arkham asylum because i love arkham like Batman being trapped in Arkham as an opportunity for empathy for Batman. And we just get to observe where he is in his journey in being able to relate to these supervillains. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is it's empathy for Batman, but it's also empathy for Joker. Right. It's also empathy for Two-Face. Yes. I mean, Two-Face at Two-Face in Morrison and McKean's story you feel so much sorrow for him in that book. Sorrow, but also optimism in a way that is not part of Arkham Asylum. Yes, yeah, 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 uh, right. And we don't get too much into our thoughts about Arkham Asylum, a serious house on a serious earth. And that's why you should join our Patreon. Ooh, Here's plug, an plug. ad for our Patreon feed. Uh, Christian Ward is a very generous person and maybe he's just too kind and we took advantage of that kindness. <laughs> but we got him to also do a Patreon exclusive conversation in which we all go through Arkham Asylum, a serious house on a serious earth page by page. It's over an hour just about Morrison and McKean's book. We all pull out our fine tooth combs and we're teasing out the little nits. Yeah. The little nits it's that are in It's part Arkham. of our Married to Singles podcast series over on the Patreon that started with Daniel Warren Johnson talking about one of his favorite single issue stories, The Nom Number 9 from Marvel Comics. And then next week, just a few days after this episode posts in our main feed over on our Patreon, Jason and airs the uh, famed WWE referee he comes on to talk about his favorite single issue or at least one of his favorite single issues uncanny x-men number 183 so two weeks after that so in three weeks christian ward in the patreon feed talking about arkham asylum you can get access to all of those episodes for just one dollar or twelve dollars a year one dollar a month or twelve dollars a year so that's our ad for patreon you should really check it out. And again, great continuation of the conversation you just heard. That was a plug so seamless, I didn't see it was coming. <laughs> Thanks, Lisa.
But I also want to get into really acknowledging Alfred as yeah. as Bruce Wayne's dad and what a, a soul weight. I'm using the word soul a lot, but like what a um, heavy burden to be Batman's dad and like supporting him in that with the very real possibility it's actually causing Bruce more harm than good. But I like how Christian frames it as Alfred lost something that day too yes. when Thomas and Martha died. Alfred suffered a trauma just as much as Bruce Wayne the child did. And oftentimes we think of Alfred as a support system for Bruce Wayne, but Alfred made some serious choices too. The Batman Vengeance quest also belongs to Alfred. And I like how Christian Ward is exploring that idea in City of Madness. I just like thinking of Alfred nurturing Bruce Wayne into into Batman and then realizing, oh my God, there are no take backs. Mm. And like he's sent, he's really encouraged Bruce Wayne to go down this toxic impulse. I'm going to use that phrase again, that toxic impulse and going like, maybe I've created a monster. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then also, by the way, there's a Batman below. Oh, yeah. And also, <laughs> like, there is no good time. Yeah. Like, I think that that's also considered in this issue. There's no good time for Alfred and Bruce to have a real heart to heart because every day is an emergency for Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just, I'm just freaking stressed. I need to get that second issue of City of Madness. Ah, it's almost here. The first issue's almost here. Again, October 10th, a great Halloween book. And it stands apart from other Batman stories. It really does. And it's because of Christian Ward. You know, I really appreciated Christian Ward saying, you know, this really felt like I was constructing an independent comic. It mm -hmm. didn't feel like I was making corporate comics in any way. DC just let me do what I wanted to do. I had tremendous freedom. And so what you get here is a, a book that you would also get at like Image or whatever. You it's know? just a pure expression. It's a pure expression, yes. DC is slaying right they now. They really are. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm enjoying a lot of DC comics right now. Uh, we have a review up on the site right now of Birds of Prey number one. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a 10 out of 10 comic as well. And the next batch of Comic Book Couples Counseling episodes all feature books that I am considering as favorites of the year. So good. Like, can we just express gratitude for comics present? Yes, yes. We are spoiled. Yep, yep. Just like we were saying, uh, coming out of Baltimore Comic Con and SPX, uh, you, you, you feel so inspired right now by the medium. Uh, and before we talk about what's coming up next, who's coming into our love nest, we actually need to do some words of affirmation. No, 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 no. I still have a little bit of morning voice. For first time listeners, uh, we should explain that our words of affirmation are our way that we give back to our new and upgrading Patreon subscribers. We curate and use these ourselves, and we're more than happy to pass them on to you, the listener. Uh, this word of affirmation, dedicated to one new and lovely patron, comes from a TED Talk from TEDxYYC by Dr. Terry Singh, entitled How to Get Unstuck, which, as you may remember from our 200th episode last week, 
was our love expert uh, who helped us explore Leon and Cody from Light Carries On by Ray Nadine. Just like Dr. Terry Singh says, we become unstuck because of something that we already know. So I think we should get into a reflective state of mind. We should slow down, take a deep and cleansing breath. Red X 2099. Your experience is far richer than you can ever give it credit for. Yeah, there we are. One lovely word of affirmation for Red X 2099, who I believe joined our Patreon because of our Daniel Warren Johnson nom number nine conversation. Uh, and they're sticking around, it looks like. So, yay! yay. Welcome. Welcome aboard. We thank and seriously appreciate every single one of our patrons. They contribute tremendously to the podcast. Recently, we were able to purchase a new foldable mobile phone holder to like up our social media game. We're heading out to New York Comic Con in October, and the patrons really make sure that we're able to go to not only Baltimore Comic Con and San Diego Comic Con, but... New York Comic Con. And we share that coverage with you, and, and we just love you so much. Thank you. Next week on the podcast, episode 202. I like how <laughs> now that we're over 200 episodes, I'm keeping track of the numbers. <laughs> For as long as we possibly can. I, I don't want episode 300 to sneak up on us the way that three <laughs> uh, that 200 did. Uh, but for episode 202, we will have a conversation with Dave Chisholm talking about Miles Davis and the search for the sound from Z2 Comics. This book blew me away. I know nothing about Miles Davis. I know nothing about jazz, but this comic just floored me. And this is another masterpiece, according to Lisa's personal definition of masterpiece, a true expression of the artist himself. Absolutely. Uh, do not miss this chat. Put Miles Davis and the search for the sound on your radar. You're going to want to get this book. I already have an alert in my phone to buy this book for myself and then also my brother. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, and it's, 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 I'm so happy that it's coming out right before the holiday season because it is a book that you can gift to many different types of people. Yeah, right? a, a great, like, you don't like comics, huh? Well, you're gonna like this. Yeah. And then they do. Or you don't like jazz, huh? You don't like Miles Davis, huh? Well, check this out. Because I was reading this book and I was compelled to immediately listen to some Miles Davis albums while I was reading it. And, and it really enhanced the experience. And do I like jazz now? Maybe? Coming on the heels of that conversation will be an episode with Patrick Hovarth talking about Beneath the Trees Where Nobody Sees, David Dasmalchin talking about Count Crowley, Chris and Laura Somney talking about Jonna and the Impossible Monsters. This is the ultimate Jonna and the Impossible Monsters conversation, full spoilers. And we have conversations already recorded for our October episodes. Junie Bond discussing Mobilis. We'll have Kevin Eastman back on the show. Yeah, it's going to be a wild fall for comic book couples counseling. And then, of course, there are also our Alamo Winchester screenings. We are screening the Dark Knight trilogy. This Sunday, starting at noon. And uh, with special introductions, 
with Christian Ward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because not only did we have him do one episode about City of Madness, one episode about Arkham Asylum, a serious house on a serious earth. We were like, I need a virtual intro for <laughs> Batman Begins, a virtual intro for The Dark Knight, and a virtual intro for The Dark Knight Rises. And he said, you bet. And you don't want to miss these virtual intros. I really like his Dark Knight Rises one so, so much. If you're a patron and you still haven't gotten your free ticket, reach out to Lisa or Brad. We'll make that happen for you. You bet. Okay, Brad. Yes. I'm headed into my very own Gotham Below. Oh, no. Yeah, it's emotionally taxing, but the coffee is amazing. <laughs> Where can we send our words of affirmation to you, Brad? Starbucks Below. I feel like <laughs> Starbucks Above is already Starbucks Below. It's definitely a hell mouth. <laughs> You can find me on most social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show posters, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation? Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I'm always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. Whatever whatever app you prefer, we're everywhere. If you'd like to get exclusive, mm. you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on all the socials <laughs> at cbccpodcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to do an act of service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? Yes, please. We're fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Doopy doopy.